Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I since have I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. In the summer of 2004, I was standing here and I asked a question. And the question was this. If First Baptist Church Pasadena closed her doors, would anyone notice or care? Those of you here that day remember the question. And I had to explain the question because I wasn't talking about us noticing or caring. Of course, we would. I was talking about the community. Would anyone in the community notice or care if we closed our doors? And several of you took that question very seriously, and in the weeks or months to come, you asked me uh, or spoke to me about that, and you said, Steve, as I've thought about it, I'm not sure anyone would notice or care, meaning the community. How much of an impact are we having on the community? Now, I think it's a great question because our goal is to turn not inward, but outward. And our goal is constantly as a church to pray, God, would you prosper the work of our hands? May we be a blessing in our community. How can we reach out? Our tendency is to turn inward. Our goal is to turn outward. And in the course of that, this past year, as we put together our mission and values, one of our values is, God, would you... One of our values states that we want to see this building filled with people to the glory of God. Now, I want to report back to you a bit, because last weekend I was here Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. This weekend I'm here Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. And uh, in the course of these nights, um, there are three or four things going on simultaneously, but things not connected one to the other. Because on Friday night, uh, the AA group meets in here. There are about 250, 300 people, about twice the number of people that's here now, come to their AA meeting at 8 o'clock on Friday night. But prior to that, there had been a wedding rehearsal in there for a big wedding. And then the next day, there was the wedding. Also, in the gymnasium, they were putting on Thoroughly Modern Millie. So that was happening. Also, uh, it seems like Ted thinks that uh, the Amal cast ought to practice And so they were here practicing. Also, the Posada came through, and the choir was here singing for the Posada on one of those evenings. Uh, You get the idea? And so actually, last weekend, I was wandering around, and I had this thought. I had the same thought this weekend. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, it's a little bit tough having so many events going on because people are literally bumping into each other. Coffee's a big deal with AA, for example. They got coffee pots all over here because you can't plug too many into one wall. You know, you blow a circuit. So... Um, There are coffee pots percolating everywhere. 
And uh, everybody's scurrying around. And here's the God-honest truth. I thought to myself, wow, this is, you know, kind of could be a recipe for disaster. But here's the, the truth. Nobody these past two weekends, not a single person has complained to me or said, wow, you know, this is chaos or this is confusing or this is we're having to share. Nobody has said a grumpy word at all. Nobody. And secondly, uh, I, I simply want to say, as we've tried to open ourselves to God and say, God, use us, use this place, I think God is. And so I just want to stop right now and say thank you, because I think all of us together have embraced this idea of building bridges, of being a blessing, of using this property for God's glory, and God's pleased to use it and... Uh, it's happening. And so isn't that great? And I think we just need to give God a praise offering. <laughs> Amen. Thank you very much. Now, last week, as I was uh, preaching, I said, we're going to have some fun. And I went through my sermon on the first day of Advent, and it was about how to pray at Christmas time. And I tried to encourage you as you begin the Advent season in your prayer life and give you some direction from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. After, and this, you know, it's usually after the sermon, I think, why didn't I say this? I should have said this would have worked so well. You know, there's all these thoughts afterwards. But uh, last week, I didn't think that. Somebody else came up and said, Steve, now, Bill, come on up here. And uh, Dave, if, I don't know if we can get this mic going or not. Can you figure out which one this is? Anyhow, I'm going to tap on it. Uh, Bill came up to me afterwards, and he said, you got it. He said, Steve, you know, you can use the word present in three different ways, P-R-E-S-E-N-T. Bill, do you remember that statement you said? I sure do. It's pretty hard to uh, outdo Steve on one, but he always liked to play on words, particularly things that start with the same letter. So last week after church, I came up said to him, uh, because there's no time like the present, he decided to present the present. So we have the same spelling, three meanings, and two uh, 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 spelled one way, three meanings, and uh, two different pronunciations. Yeah, one, a couple other questions, Bill. How long have you been going to First Baptist? About 45 years, I guess. Amen. And uh, what kind of car do you like? Here, here's what I... Really learn to like about Bill. What do you drive this morning? Well, I have two 40 Fords and two 40 Mercury, so it might be either one of them. I have a 54 Jaguar that usually just my road car, not not uh, my town car. So. And you've got a cars. Jaguar with how many miles on it? 470,000. It's a miracle, isn't it? I bought it only new car I've ever owned in my life. And what did you For, drive? 40, 43 years in a row to Canada. Wow. What did you drive this morning? Uh, the Mercury. No, one of, one of my 40 Fords. 40 Ford. Okay, thanks a lot, Bill. Sure. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, I thought, you know, after the sermon, why didn't I think of that? That kind of summarizes the whole deal. If you'll find your sermon outline or where we're going today, I've, I've actually got Bill quoted in there. Uh, is that okay, Bill? I can just put it in print? Anytime. All right, thank you. Uh, but I want to do a little review, because I think it really flows into what we're talking about this morning as well. We talked about last week praying at Christmas, and I challenged you to pray that your presence is what? A present. That your presence is a present. And Bill wonderfully wrapped that up. 
Isn't that a great statement? As you go about your affairs today, you can think there's no better time than the present to present your present, yourself, to someone. So that's a great line. And then I also challenged you, say, pray God guide you to what for others? Guide and provide, yeah. And so the key there, of course, is, uh, Lord Jesus, how can I be a servant? How can you use me, my presence? How can you use what I might do for someone? How can you use me as a servant for Jesus this season? And we talked about that, and I hope you're doing that. Now, this morning, I'd like to give you my present. I'd like to think of this moment together as my present to you. And I guess it has two components, and the first one is this. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, and in your Bible in the pew, it's on page 196 if you want to follow there. Philippians chapter 1. And my present would be this. I want to encourage you this Christmas season to have an attitude of what? Gratitude. You've heard that point before. You're going to hear it again. Because every time you read one of Paul's letters, except once, he always says that, have an attitude of gratitude. So this isn't the first time you've heard it. It's not the last time you're going to hear it. And uh, I don't think we can ever overemphasize this point. And so that's where I begin. And as we begin this Christmas season, I want to encourage you in the spirit of Christmas to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, this morning, what I'm focusing on is uh, I want to encourage you to enjoy people this Christmas season. When... Uh, I was a young juvenile, <laughs> an adolescent, that's a better word. When I was growing up, at about age 10 or 12, yeah, I know where you're going with that, about 12 or 13, my, I lived on a farm in Missouri. My dad ran a program for alcoholics. One of the guys on the farm there, was his name was Jack. He was very short. He grew up in Arkansas. He was missing a lot of teeth. He had tattoos all over him. And uh, Jack had come to Christ, come to the farm, was living a sober life, he had, and, and so one summer I was working with him, we were sanding a school bus. We were going to paint this school bus. And I remember sitting on top of the bus. There's a lot of space on top of a school bus. And I was up there with Jack, and he began to tell me about his life. He had, I don't know, 13 or 15 brothers and sisters, some big number. And he had left home early, and he chewed tobacco, Copenhagen, snuff. You put it under your, under something, under your tongue or your lip or something. And, of course, he offered me some. And uh, I almost got so sick, I fell off the bus. But, uh, you know, that was a one-time deal for me. Uh, but he, he would spit and chew, and he would talk to me about his life, and it had been a rough life. He was only in his 30s at this time. And uh, what he said to me was, he said, you know, I prefer animals to people. And he helped take care of the cows on the farm. Now, I don't really understand that, but I know that's true. There are some people... And maybe it's because of their, the way they grew up. Maybe it's because of abuse in their life. But some people have just concluded, I'd a whole lot rather be around animals than people. And I don't know about you, whether you might have concluded that or not, but I want to talk to you this morning about how to enjoy people during Christmas because you're going to be around a lot of people. And I really hope that as a follower of Jesus, you value people more than you value animals. In fact, I like to say we should love people and like things. You shouldn't love your car. You like your car. You should love your neighbor. So I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about having an attitude of gratitude. Let's go to the Scripture. Um, Paul, of course, begins this letter with a greeting, a salutation, and a, a blessing, and uh, this is it. Let's read a p- portion of these verses. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, I want to highlight two words. The first word, grace, and the word thanks. We talked a bit about the word thanks last week. We'll come back to this. And in your outline, if you like to fill in the blanks, gratitude equals grace. That is, God's best for you. When you think of grace, how how should we think of that? Well, one way to think of it is, God's action toward you is grace. God loves you, and God always acts towards you in grace. Now, the other word we highlight, Paul says, grace to you. That's just a great expression. God's favor to you. God's best to you. May you really understand God's love for you. Grace to you. And then... Paul says, as he prays for this church, I thank my God every time I remember you. So the second blank, fill in the word thanks. It's actually made up of the same word as grace. And thanks is our response back to God, our gratitude to God for God's goodness to us. Now, there's another fill in the blank there, and I already gave it to you, but um, I sort of changed my outline since I submitted this to the printer. So go ahead and fill it in. Love people like what? Things, yeah. And the Koinonia verse, that's in verse 5. I think we're not going to deal with that today. Dr. Mirslav Wolf says the following. He didn't grow up in this country. He grew up outside this country. He now lives here. He's a professor at Yale. He says one of the curses on America is this, entitlement. Entitlement. What does that mean, entitlement? You, you, you think you deserve something. It's all about me. What else? No, I have my rights. Yeah. Now, um, let me let me sit on this one for a minute. My grandson Caleb is six years old, and uh, David's heard enough. He said, "I'm out of here." But uh, bless you as you go, Dr. Scholler. We're glad to have you here, and Father Karras, good to see you. As, as you think about entitlement, my my six-year-old grandson he might make me a Christmas card, and you know maybe he makes this uh, funny green tree on there, and inside in those block letters when you're learning to print, you know how it looks when you he says C A L E B, and if he gives me that, that's a worthless gift, right? I mean it, it it's not even worth a quarter. It you can buy a piece of paper and do that for a penny, so in that sense it, it's worthless in a monetary sense. It is, Bonnie. It's not. It, you could do it for a dime. But is it valuable to me? Is it a good present? Absolutely. It's priceless in that sense. Because I love Caleb because of the relationship, and so that's a great gift, and I would appreciate it. Now, let's say, let's forget Caleb's my grandson, and let's say there's a man named Caleb who's 60 years old. He's not six, he's 60. That's about your age, right, Bill? And uh, he's a billionaire, so he's very rich, and he's a very close friend of mine. And so I think of Caleb, and I think it's Christmas time, and I think, wow, you know, Caleb's a generous guy. And I begin to think about, you know, I, that old sports car of mine, I mean, it's really old. Maybe he'd buy me a new Mazda RX-8. You know, he could afford it. A billionaire could afford a $30,000 car, right? Sure. And so I'm just kind of expecting that Caleb's going to give me this gift, and all I get is a Christmas card, badly written. Merry Christmas, Steve. Thanks for your friendship. How do I feel? You see, if I'm under this curse of entitlement, I feel like, wow, Bill really let me down. Did Bill let me down? Not at all. Not at all. Now, let me make it a little more personal. Some of you work for a living. Anybody work for a living? Yeah? Okay. About half of us. 
uh, think about working for a living, even if you're not, and you may expect from your you may expect from your employer this year what? A bonus. Is that in your contract? Does she have to give you a bonus? But how are you going to feel if you don't get a bonus, especially if you got one last year? Oh, you're going to be upset with your boss, aren't you? Why? Because you have this sense of entitlement. She owes me. Um, We could go on and on with this. If you're a teenager here, you may say, you know, all my friends have iPods, and my mom and dad, they owe me an iPod. I mean, I just ought to get an iPod for Christmas, right? Teenagers say, right. That's a sense of entitlement. They don't owe you that. So as we think about this idea of an attitude of gratitude, uh, one of the things that gets in our way is a sense of entitlement and what we expect from others. And when you go down that road, some of us have learned to look at the world through, these are my rights, I demand them, I'm entitled to this, somebody owes me this, and we go through our life with this sense of expectation of what others are supposed to do for us. Now, that's not written down anywhere. We just feel this way. And we get really upset if it doesn't happen. Am I making any sense? Yeah. Okay. There's another way to look at the world. A totally different way. And you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read from the Scripture, James chapter 1, verse uh, 17. And listen closely. Every generous act of giving. In fact, let's say that together. Every generous act of giving, and I'll read the rest, with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. What is that saying? Well, what it's saying is actually something that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But what it's saying is that some people view the world not as a sense of entitlement. They actually believe that everything that comes to them comes from God who is gracious and acts in grace toward us, and God gives us these things. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthians about the Macedonian gift or about giving gifts, he says, it's like uh, Cindy gives me a gift, and I'd say, thank you, Cindy, but I really am mostly thankful to God because I think the gift came from God. It didn't come from Cindy. God just trusted her with this gift. She was the instrument to pass it on to me. And so God is glorified. She's the instrument. As she recognizes God's grace in her life and shares that grace with others, I receive it. And that's a different way of looking at things, isn't it? But if you look at life that way, what's going to happen? You're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Because you're going to realize, wow, God has graced me in these areas. And I'm thankful. And so this morning, as uh, I encourage you to enjoy people... And there's so much that could be said there. But I want to encourage you about your attitude. What is your attitude? And can you have an attitude of gratitude as you live your life? Can you uh, even receive people, yes, even some of those tough family members, as God's gift to you? And see, what is it in their life that I should celebrate and what is a part of their gift? So this this, uh, year, this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to have an attitude of gratitude. And then secondly, this. Live a life of love. In verse 9, uh, Paul talks about love. And let me read you, actually, verses 9 and 10. We're back in Philippians. This is my prayer, says Paul. He's given thanks for these people. Now he's praying. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow with more and more knowledge and full insight 
to help you determine what is best so that the, in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Wow, that's a mouthful. But as we back up, Paul says, I pray for you. And what does Paul pray? He prays that their love overflows. In other words, he's, he's thinking, I, I hope, although these Philippians know that God loves them, I hope they understand it in a better way so that it's just bubbling over like a cup that's had too much poured into it. The love's just running down the side. I hope that for them. Now, I got to talk to my mom and dad a couple days ago. They have a cold. They wanted to come up for a mall, and they said, we can't come. We're just down with a cold. And so how am I going to pray for them? God, do what? Heal their cold. But, you know, that's not how Paul would pray. Paul would pray for my folks. Yeah, Lord, help with the cold. But Paul would pray, Lord, help Lois and Ernie to just understand in a greater way how much God loves them. And so their love overflows and splashes onto other folks. That's how Paul would pray. So this morning, I want to encourage you in this area of live a life of love. Now, I think when we talk about love in our culture, we need to to talk, uh, set some boundaries. We need to explain that a bit. And so the fill in the blank is love appropriately. (laughs) Sex is not love. I was going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say that, but I don't want to embarrass you. (laughs) Sex is not love. You can use someone else's body for your pleasure. That's not love. Or you can give your bodies to someone else for their pleasure. That's not love. You may decide and you may have the means to extravagantly spend this Christmas and lavish gifts on people. That's not love either, is it? Love's not about that. And in fact, when we think about love, we can do no better than to think about God's love for us. God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. That's love. God sending His Son into the world. And we celebrate it at this time of year. Now, how do you and I reflect that love? Well, like Jesus, we live sacrificial lives, lives of service, lives of gratitude to demonstrate God's love. We've experienced that. And so I want to encourage you to live a life of love. Now, two, two more words to highlight. In verse 10... Paul says that we're going to overflow with love in verse 9. He says in verse 10, to help you determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. And again, Advent is looking to the coming of Christ when he was born in a manger. Advent is looking forward to the return of Christ. Advent is looking to see how does Christ come to me by the Spirit and the Word today? And as Paul writes this, he says, I hope that on the day of Christ you are pure and and blameless. Well, that's a load. Let me talk about those two words as we conclude. Now, I was uh, here at the AA meeting because I wanted to welcome the folks, and we've spent a little over a year together, so I was here and I, I greeted them and uh, told them about our services, invited them to come to them. Now, if you've been in NA or MA, Marijuana Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, if you've been in any anonymous group, I don't want you to respond to me, okay? Don't answer the question. But if you've not gone to one of those meetings, and it's an easy answer, if you were sitting here Friday night at 8 o'clock in this meeting, and by the way, just we can talk about this later, but, you know, if you get up in AA, you say, Hi, my name's Steve, I'm an alcoholic. You always have to say that, state that condition of yours uh, when you give your name. 
One poor guy got up here and he had some business and said, you know, I have this disease of alcoholism. And he started to sit down and the person conducting the meeting says, wait a minute. You didn't say it. So he came back to the mic and gave his name, said, I'm an alcoholic. Now, here's what I think. And my wife and I are arguing about this. I think we ought to start church every Sunday like this. Hi, my name's Steve. I'm a sinner. Shouldn't we just do that? I mean, isn't that our kind of common bond? It would just, uh, it would just keep the playing field where it's supposed to be. But anyhow, in AA, if you're sitting in this meeting on Friday night, what is the goal of AA? Stay sober. Stay sober. Exactly. It's pretty clear. There's only one goal, 12 steps. It's to stay sober. It's pretty clear. And I'm always blessed when I'm with this group. It's just amazing how I just think they're wonderful. And I think the meetings are wonderful. Uh, because partially they're so honest. They're just about staying sober. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, what is our purpose here? Why are we here at this uh, Christians Not Anonymous meeting? What are we, what are we doing here? Why are we here? And, and I, you don't have to answer that out loud. Just think about it. Why are we here? If truly this is Steve and he's a sinner, why are we here? Is it to overcome sin? Now, a part of what they say at AA is, I believe, I, I, I realize my life has become unmanageable. I can't do it. I can't stay sober. And so, I submit to this higher power. And with God's help and the help of these friends, I will be sober. Now, I want to conclude because we've skipped the best verse in Philippians chapter 1. And it's uh, verse 6. And I want to read that to you now. Because the question is, if I'm a sinner and my goal is to overcome sin, how am I going to do that? Paul said, I want you to be pure and blameless when Jesus comes back. Purity meaning, uh, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. As I grow older, now the sun just came out. That's great. Because as I look at this print, what's happening? As I grow older and as it gets darker, I can't see it. Now, as the sun, it, it's a miracle. It's just shining through this window right on my Bible. I can see it fine. I can see it fine. And the word pure that Paul uses, Paul says, I want you to be pure on the day of Christ. The word has to do with sunlight. And if you had a crystal goblet here, in this old room in a cloudy day, it's not very bright. And you say, oh, that's a nice goblet. If you took it out into the sunshine and the light was shining on the cut glass, it would be gorgeous, wouldn't it? The sunlight would make it gorgeous. And that's the idea that your life be gorgeous for God when it's held up to the sunlight. Paul says that's the way your life should be. It should be able to take the sun examination. Now, the word blameless, don't answer if you've ever done this, but you may have seen it. You're sitting in junior high school and someone's coming down the aisle and what does some kid do? They stick out their foot and somebody trips and everybody laughs. They fall down. You know, you've tripped them up. The word blameless is not about perfection. It doesn't mean that you live without a mistake. It means you live so that you don't trip someone up. My life should not trip up your life. Your life should not trip up my life. In fact, both of our lives ought to be to the glory of God. Now, as Steve stands here a sinner, how can he ever be pure and blameless? Well, that's where Philippians 1.6 comes in. I'll read it to you. Paul says, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Who is that one? Well, it's Jesus Christ. 
And so he's saying God's going to do these things. Now, two other verses. Paul concludes the letter by saying, My God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul begins by saying grace to you. He ends by saying God will supply everything you need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. If that's true, won't you live a life of gratitude saying, Wow, God has met another need of mine. I'm so thankful to God and I'm going to live a life of love. Not only that, Paul also says in the middle of chapter 4, I can do all things through what? Through determination, read the right books, go to Fuller, uh, study hard, and I can do anything I want. That's not what he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which takes us right back to Philippians 1.6. How in the world can you or I be pure and blameless? Well, actually, we can, according to Philippians 1.6 if Christ is living out Christ's life in us. So I'd like you to stand up right now, and I'd like to read Philippians 1.6 from the Message Paraphrase Bible, and I'd like for us to read it together. Read it with some enthusiasm, okay? There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to finish, finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Amen.